0: on today's episode our first ever live facebook q a welcome to the run smarter podcast the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier stronger smarter runner if you're like me running is life but more often than not injuries disrupt this lifestyle and once you are injured you're looking for answers bit of a podcast first to this episode. As the title or as the um, intro suggested, I did this episode um, on a Facebook Live in within our patron Facebook group. Um, so there's, <clears throat> at the time of recording, there's 45 members in there and thought I'd test it out, thought I'd follow the advice of Dwayne Scotty, the Healthy Runner podcast, who do a lot of Facebook Lives uh, and produce the audio into or create the audio into a podcast episode. And uh, I think it would have been about two months ago now, but I asked the patrons, uh, if they would enjoy doing a Facebook live and they seem to want it. So, uh, that's what I've started. Hopefully in the next couple of months, we do a couple more potentially with some interviews, um, when I have some guests on and with this Q and a put together a little bit of a, presentation kind of a bit of a um, something to follow to watch when I'm talking it through but specifically designed it so that it doesn't have any tables or graphs or things that the podcast listeners when you're listening to the audio file you're not misguided or confused about what I'm talking about so thanks to everyone who submitted their questions I picked four well the first four to reach out So we're going to talk about marathon recovery. We're going to talk about MCL injuries, tapering, and kids running. I always thank those patrons who are contributing $5 per month to say thanks to the podcast. I'm always trying to deliver more value for them. And while I will do some Facebook Lives within the regular podcast Facebook group, which is almost getting 1,000 members right now, thanks to everyone who's diving in there, I do want to make sure that the patrons have like the VIP experience. And so if you wanted to contribute, if you wanted to be a part of our family, some, of, some people are like, oh, I just don't know where to go. The link is always in the show notes if you do want to participate and if you do want to become a patron and dive into that Facebook group. And like I said, I'm always trying to come up with creative ways to make it a better experience. But if you want to listen to the podcast like you always have on the podcast, nice and free, this episode is like every other Q&A episode. So let's dive in and start answering. Uh, There's a whole bunch of different questions. Uh, I will start with question one, and this comes from Battle Maiden 4. It's a great name. (laughs) And she asks, how much time do you need to recover after a race? Um, particularly a marathon before you start training for the next one. And it's a really good question. I don't, I didn't really know, and I still don't really know, but I have delved into some um, research as I usually do with these sort of questions, just to see what the research comes up with. And I found one, I found one from a couple of years ago and my face is in the way. So I'll move this out of the way. Um, The title of the, the research article that I found was, recovery of inflammation, cardiac, and muscle damage biomarkers after running a marathon. And so that's perfect. And so this, what this study did was they tested 86 runners and they were the, the ages of 30 to 44. So keep that in mind. If you're a bit older, might take a little bit longer to recover, but they tested with several biomarkers 24 hours beforehand. They did it immediately after the marathon And then they did it 24, 48, 96, and 144 hours after the marathon. And so that 144 hours equates to about eight days or exactly eight days. And these biomarkers that they tested um, was just testing the, well, let me see if I can go through all of them. Lactate, hydrogenase, uh, creatine, kinase, high sensitivity, troponin T, and C-reactive Um, protein. And so all of these different biomarkers, they are markers for tissue damage, for acute muscle damage, for acute cardio or heart damage and acute inflammatory reactions. And so if you test all these biomarkers after, well, before to get a baseline, and then after the marathon in certain increments, we can start to get a good objective measure of how well people are recovering. And so this is what we found um, when it came to tissue damage. We looked at, at baseline. It's relatively small, as you'd imagine. At the, at the finish line, tissue damage, we're looking at like tendons, ligaments, like other like bone tissue. Like this is the, the biomarker that gets spiked when this sort of tissue damage is, um, is high. And so as you would expect at the finish line, tissue damage is quite high. Um, it's at the highest, it peaks at, at the finish line. 24 hours afterwards, we're just following a graph that kind of at, after about 24 hours, it returns back to about half of uh, what was baseline and then it just slowly peters down back to baseline uh, as that week goes on. And when we get to that eight days, we're pretty much back to baseline. The next biomarker they looked at was muscle damage. So instead of those tendons, ligaments that we looked at last time, now we're looking at muscle Um, As you would expect. So baseline, they're pretty much at zero at the finish line. um, There's not a lot of muscle damage. There's it, it spikes. It almost doubles when it comes to baseline, but they don't see a huge spike until 24 hours afterwards. And when you, when you look at muscle damage, you know, it usually takes about 24 to 48 hours for that, the doms to kick in and for the muscles to feel quite sore. So that's probably why we're seeing that delay, but Like we said, with like we've seen with the other tissue damage, it returns back to baseline very slowly, but gradually after that eight day cycle heart damage, again, there's a spike at the finish line and it slowly returns. It's probably about, uh, well, we're looking at three to four days, um, some about three to five days before that, um, that heart damage, that biomarker returns back to normal. And then, we've got inflammation and so inflammation was zero at baseline and essentially flatlined until the finish line. So there's no inflammation during the actual marathon at, at the finish line, still at zero, but then it spikes 24 hours afterwards. That's when all that inflammation starts building up and yeah, like everything else, it slowly peters out so that by that eight days, we're seeing it return back to normal. And so the general gist of this is all those biomarkers that indicate recovery, that indicate whether how long it takes you to bounce back, it seems like all those biomarkers have returned after eight days. So to answer this question, how much time do we need to recover? It's going to depend. But with science, well, science shows with these particular biomarkers, it it should be around a week. Um, I would imagine that. The older you are, the longer that takes to bounce back and the longer it takes to recover. That's just my opinion. Um, but I have come up with a- just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow couple of things to consider. So number one, I'd say take three to seven days of of complete rest or very light activity. So you can still keep moving, but walking, pool walking, light swimming, just really low intensity, just keeping the body moving, not necessarily exercising, but keeping the body moving for three to seven days uh, would be my recommendation. The second one is resume with really low intensity. So now we're starting to do a little bit of a workout. um, So with cross training so you can do say a bike uh the cross trainer swimming the elliptical all those different things and start yeah start reintroducing some really low intensity i wouldn't necessarily do some some running because we're looking at pounding on the pavement maybe some walking maybe some really really low jogging but um yeah that that's that'd be a good opportunity to start doing some really low intensity so after that first week um the third one i had written down was make sure that you're eating and sleeping well before you resume running, because we want to make sure that you're recovering well and that the body's bouncing back. Um, we do know the importance of sleep. We do know that sleep um, helps us rejuvenate and helps us, you know, handle the loads that we have during the day. And so if you're not sleeping well and you're not eating that well, and the, uh, I definitely wouldn't recommend it's time to start, you know, training for the next race. The fourth one was just listen to your body when you do decide to start returning to running. Um, Everyone's different. Like a a first marathon, people respond completely different to someone if if it's their 20th marathon. And so that's why we do need to listen to the body. We need to tailor to the individual um, and based on those individual circumstances. So something to keep in mind, make sure you take a good time off. So that's seven to uh, three to seven days of complete rest, then start with some really low intensity, cross-training exercises, make sure you're sleeping well. And then when it gets, when you start returning to running, making sure you're listening to your body, making sure the body is responding well to that running. And yeah, if you listen to your body, you usually can't go wrong. So that study I just referred to with those biomarkers, they said something uh, quite interesting as well. Um, According to the relationships found between the race time, so how fast they did it and their biomarkers, uh, it seems that the faster runners, they develop greater muscle damage. So more DOMS um, afterwards and yeah, more damage to the soft tissue. Whereas the slower runners are higher, have a higher inflammatory response. And if I was trying to think of why that would happen, I guess it kind of makes sense because the slower you are, the more time you're on your feet. So instead of doing a two and a half hour marathon, you're doing a five or a six hour marathon there's a lot more repetitive pounding of the pavement and there's a little bit more, I guess you could say there's inflammation that, um, is accumulated, but with the faster runners, they're pushing out a lot of power rather than just the shuffle along five, six hour marathoner. And so that's something we can take into consideration depending on the, the marathon time. Um, so it does, it really depends. How much time do you need after a marathon, after a race, depends how experienced you are, depending the race time, depending how much, um, yeah how much load has gone through the body so questions to ask yourself that it's more for a um it's not necessarily a a physio question i think it's a um based on the individual based on their experience and based on um yeah how they're going to respond as the individual so thank you battle maiden four for that question uh the next one comes from alex dimmer and he asks i'm dealing with some mcl inflammation And what are your recovery recommendations? I've been doing ice compression and self-found rehab stuff. I haven't ran in a few days uh, and I've hopped on the stationary bike. And um, further in this post, someone else commented. So at Tibby Tots said that my MCL and uh, a sore in both knees and distance running and fast running aggravates it. What specific exercises should I do to focus on my MCL? And so I thought I'd combine these and kind of, um, you know, kill two birds with one stone and answer both of these, just addressing like the MCL. And so if those are unfamiliar, so the MCL is your medial collateral ligament and ligaments attach bone to bone. So they don't attach to any muscle or, um, yeah, it's just an anchor point for the inside structure of the knee. So your MCL is your medial collateral ligament. And so when it's on the inside of the knee connects to the, um, the thigh bone and then connects down to your shin bone. And it's surrounded by a lot of muscle. It's surrounded by a lot of tendons surrounded by a lot of bursa, which are these um, fluid filled sacs that help lubricate a lot of these moving tendons and moving muscles over that area. Um, so it can be quite complex if you do have pain in that area but usually when it comes to a ligament we can't necessarily strengthen the ligament because there's no muscles around it to strengthen but what we can do is apply load through there potentially it might adapt if we start straining that muscle uh, that ligament in the right environment but strengthening all the muscles around it also help with that structure so my advice for this question is number 1 make sure you're getting the correct diagnosis um, there's not a lot of inflammation that goes with the MCL. Like the MCL is usually trauma-based. Like if someone tackles you, or if you twist your knee when you fall to the ground, um, that that twisting and falling um, can be a trauma-based um, injury. Whereas if it's an overuse kind of thing, if you're const- if you're running for a long distance, or if you've had some sort of training error, and that. Is particularly sore, it might not be the ligament. It might be something else. And there are a lot of sensitive structures nearby. So number one is get a correct diagnosis because it might, if it's persisting for a couple of weeks, running's making it worse. It might not be the ligament. Number two, I'd rest if it was really irritable or if it was sore to touch. Um, that's when I guess a physio can come in to see really isolate what is causing that pain. If they feel that they can feel the ligament and then feel the tendons and kind of differentiate where that sore spot is coming from. But if it's sore to touch, if the ligament is really tender to touch, um, you don't want to be loading it too much. So I'd rest then, or you would find some sort of cross training alternative that doesn't irritate that tendon, uh, doesn't irritate that ligament. And some like some examples might be swimming. Some examples might be walking instead of running. Um, some examples might be bike. Instead of running, it just really depends on the individual. So number three would be to strengthen all the muscles around that ligament. So we want to support that ligament as much as we can. And usually what, what happens near this um, MCL is you have your hamstrings attached to the, um, to the inside of the knee. And you also have your adductors, your adductors almost cover over that ligament, which is why I was suggesting that if it isn't a correct diagnosis and it's it might actually be, say, the adductor tendon or one of the adductor bursa that might be a little bit irritated. Um, I can't, I'm not going to make a diagnosis um, based on a, a question, but uh, yeah, I'd say get it checked out, but strengthening the hamstrings, strengthening the adductors will do a lot and will, will help a long way. Um, and the fourth one I want to do was just once you're tolerating low levels of running, that's when you should return and then slowly progress. And so that might be a walk run program. It might be just starting off really slow on the flats and then just seeing how you respond and just slowly build up from there. It's what we do with every injury (laughs) It's this trial and error and then just working it up. But, um, based on TB tots question, uh, what are some exercises I do have, it doesn't necessarily strengthen the MCL, but it strengthens the adductors. Um, I do have one exercise that I like to use, and it's a side plank with your um, leg up on a, a bench. So your your trunk and your body is actually elevated on that bench. Um, so if you, if I were to paint a visual, if you are, um, let's just say doing a side plank with your right, with your right forearm on the ground, you have your left leg up on top of the bench and you have your right leg underneath the bench. So your knees are kind of squeezing that bench together. And you're working that top adductor as you do that. And it can be quite tough. It can be quite tough to do. And as you progress, we're increasing the lever. And so you're moving further away from that bench. And so now instead of your thighs sandwiching that bench together, you're now um, moving further away so that your shins are sandwiching the bench together, or you can move even further away. So the feet are the only ones sandwiching that bench together. It's really tough to do requires a lot of strength, but I do think that runners don't do a lot of work with their adductors. I think it's often ignored. Um, so that can be a really nice exercise to start with. Uh, and so that's a little something for you to take away and a few progressions along the way. So, so thanks Alex for submitting that question. The next one we have, the third one is from Matt. And so Matt asks, uh, he has accidentally done a two week taper due to an injury. So preparing for a race um, it's on the outside of the knee. So he thinks maybe the ITB and four weeks out from the race. Well, he did the injury four weeks out from the race. Now he's two weeks out from the race after having two weeks off because of this injury. Um, And he's asking, how can we taper? Should we follow the tapering plan? Because tapering two weeks beforehand is when he's meant to do his taper but he's already had two weeks off. And so what should he do? Should we add a little bit more mileage into the taper or should we follow the tapering plan to the T? It's interesting. It's an it's a interesting question. Um, first of all, why do we taper? What is tapering? Tapering is when we reduce the volume of your weekly training as we're preparing for a race. So it's usually two to four weeks leading up to a marathon, um, anywhere between two to four there's a whole bunch of different opinions, and it depends on the individual as well. Trial and error is pretty common with this, um, and it's implemented so that the runner can achieve optimal performance on race day. It's almost allowing your time to recover. Um, you're still maintaining some mileage, still maintaining some running, but enough to recover so that you're feeling really fresh, got fresh legs on race day, and it can lead to optimal performance. And so, yeah, like I said, two weeks out, um, we've got this taper process and we're just trying to allow, uh, recovery. So we have, you know, during our training blocks, we want to produce some sort of training stimulus. So the body gets fatigued and we're kind of running on tired legs a lot of the time, but when we're recovered, we adapt. We're a lot stronger than we were when we start with, and then race day comes and hopefully you get those PBs and everything's uh, works out well for Matt's question. Um, It's very hard to answer and have the right answer. It really depends. And this is just my opinion, but I do see people getting into the trap with having a really rigid running plan. And especially when injuries arise and it could be at any stage of the training plan, you could be five weeks in and all of a sudden an injury happens and you're like, well, should I keep to my running plan? I need to do a 10 K run on the weekend. And so you're like, Oh, maybe I should try that 10 K run cause it's in the plan and that flares up symptoms. And then you say, okay, that was too much. Let me back off for a week. Um, let me just have a, a week of reduced mileage or a, a week of not much running at all. And then once that injury starts feeling better, it's like, well, do I jump back in to what my plan is saying at week, at week seven? Um, do I just go off that T, or is that too much of a jump now? Where, what do I do? How, how can I proceed? And you can get really, it can get really tricky. So you do need a little bit of leeway. You do need to be able to adjust depending on the individual, because when an injury arises, you can't keep up with that pace. And if you have some time off, it's really hard to resume back at that pace or jump forward to where you should be. Um, So something to keep in mind. It's really tricky. I would almost treat this, this question, Matt, like a, like a four-week taper because Like I said, with the the definition of a taper, sometimes it's anywhere between four, two to four weeks. And so you've already done two weeks of a taper and with two, if you're two weeks out from the race, then you should still be in a good position. You should still be good and just treat the next two weeks like a taper as well. Um, Have this peace of mind that you're not going to lose fitness in two weeks. Hopefully in these two weeks, um, if this happens to other people, you're doing some level of cross training, You're you're maintaining some level of fitness. Yes. If you're completely bedridden, if you've, if you haven't really done much exercise, low intensity exercise, then you would feel sluggish on race day. You might lose some fitness, but most of us are up and moving around. We're doing some form of low intensity like cross training and you're maintaining a lot of that fitness that you've gained over that training program. And so, keep that peace of mind. You're not going to lose fitness in that two weeks. If you're still moving around and doing low intensity exercise. And if I were you, Matt, um, I would return. I would still do low intensity for the the remainder of the two weeks. So if you're two weeks out, I'd still maintain like a high mileage, but really low intensity. So that injury doesn't flare back up, but still keep a, a really good mileage. And then for the one week out from the race, that's when I would back off the mileage still with low intensity. um, But hopefully that produces some fresh legs and you've still got some mileage like to back up. And so um, you're still used to running. It's not going to be a big hit once you get to that race day. So that would be my advice. Um, But the real lesson around here is just making sure that you, if you do have, if you do follow a strict running plan, when you're giving that you're given that running plan, make sure you have some sort of um, contingency plan if injuries do arise. Thanks for that, Matt. We have our last question, which was of Jill. And she asks, what about pre-adolescent runners? I find many parents want to push their young runners possibly too hard. And I wonder if there are long-term impacts. Um, yeah, we do see parents get too carried away um, and maybe push their their kids too much when it comes to running um, i try looking for some evidence i try doing what i usually do and have a look to see what the research shows and i couldn't find anything um, so either they've done their studies and not really found much and not published them or there's just no one has done a lot of studies but i do have a couple of opinions i do have a couple of dot points that i've written down uh if people are parents and they are um, taking their kids into running i've got a a few things that they should include and a few warning signs so things they should include keep it fun keep it engaging keep it as a social activity make sure that the kids having fun doing it make sure that your kids like enjoying it make sure there's a lot of variety make sure it's not just one mundane exercise one mundane Um, running performance make sure you keep up the variety kids love the variety and they're going to adapt to different stimulus if you push if you give them a wealth of variety to adapt to so team sports are really good um and yeah obviously team sports help that social dynamic as well the other one um make sure they include make sure they have some recovery make sure they're sleeping well make sure their nutrition is well particularly if they're they're doing a lot of higher mileage particularly if they're doing things that are consistent like five, six, seven days a week. And then there's some warning signs. The warning signs that I have here is the loss of love of running. Like if all of a sudden they're losing interest, if all of a sudden they're just not loving it like they used to, that could be a warning sign. And we really shouldn't be pushing our kids um, to do things once they've lost that love. The other one is the history of injuries. If you have a, a child who is running, but they're constantly getting injured and they're injured multiple times a year, that's a warning sign. Maybe we're not getting our recovery right. Maybe we're pushing them too much. This is just my opinion. But um, like I said, I can't fall back on any research here, um, but that would just be my instinct. Uh, and in older children, like if they're getting um, into their adolescence, looking at for the signs of red S, um, there are some signs like mood disturbances. Um, if they do have stress fractures, loss of a period, those sort of signs, uh, I have done several. Red S episodes in the past, so we should be familiar with those, but that's a big sign. If they're losing weight, if you find that their relationship with food is, um, not as healthy, definitely some questions we need to ask and definitely some warning signs. So there we have it. Our first Facebook live Q and a, I hope you enjoyed I hope you learned a lot next episode. We're switching things up again, and I'm going to appear as a guest on a YouTube channel. And we're going to talk all about osteoarthritis. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll catch you next time. Thanks once again for listening. To take full advantage of the knowledge you are building, you need to download the Run Smarter app. This contains all of my free access podcast episodes, written blogs and eBooks, along with my paid video courses, all neatly housed into categories for you to easily navigate through and find content you're interested in. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for links to the podcast Facebook group and links to learn more about becoming a podcast patron. who contribute five Aussie dollars per month to get inner circle VIP access, including an invitation into the exclusive patron Facebook group and a complete back catalogue of patron-only podcast episodes, which you can access within the app. Also on the app, you can even find a link that takes you to my online physio clinic, where i assess and treat runners from all over the world so i can be on standby if you ever need one-on-one physiotherapy assistance once again thank you for listening and becoming a run smarter scholar and remember knowledge is power